0: I'm Lindsay with Wild Root Flower Company.
1: And I'm Shannon from Bloom Hill Farm. Over the last six years, we've leaned on each other as we grew our farms into the profitable six-figure farms they are today.
0: Join us as we have real, honest conversations about life and business. I promise you will leave feeling inspired and your toolbox filled with tips you can implement at any stage in your farming journey.
1: Learn from our mistakes as we talk business, marketing, and growing techniques to help you create the farm of your dreams.
0: So let's roll up our sleeves
1: and get the dirt on flowers. Hello. Hey there. You made it through Mother's Day.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> we rainy, cold and soaking wet, but we did. How about I you?
1: Know. It was good. We we had a good Mother's Day. We have employees, which is really nice. So I'm not pulling an all Mother's Day all-nighter any longer, which is yeah. wonderful. So we got everything pretty much done on Friday. A few little things left to do on Saturday, but nothing big. And then we had a grandmother's Mother's Day. People were happy. And husbands are like so excited to come get their flowers. So yeah, it was, yeah. Good. it was good. And then we did not do any sales at all on Sunday. So I tried to create a boundary for the farm and myself so that I could have some relaxing time on Sunday. So it worked out really good. How about you? That's good.
0: Yeah, it was good. So last year, I had this whole sheet, like this whole calendar of like what the week was going to look like and down to everything, like charge the iPads, get the money ready. Like all of those things that, you know, that you pull a Mother's Day all nighter for because two years ago it was hot mess express. And so I felt really good about that this year. Like we were done Thursday with stuff. Like, so we were playing catch up Friday. We're like, what is happening? Like we did so, we did so well. And then it rained. And so... I and mean, we had really good pre-orders, which was great. Yeah. But yeah, it was good to see everybody. People still came out, Yeah, you know, but it's one of those things, this industry, man, the weather just affects everything. But yeah, you have yeah we have- did. We right. did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. We had a pre-order pickup and then we did a farmer's market. We did a chocolate place on two days, like a local oh, chocolate yeah. store. And mm-hmm. then we did a, um, a market, a vintage market. So yeah, we were all over. I was running, running mm-hmm. all over the county. So yeah.
1: Yeah you know, the moms are so deserving. And I just love seeing the variety of people who come pick up. It's kids, it's husbands, it's grandfathers, you know, wanting to spoil daughters. It's just, mm-hmm. it's a great holiday. And I know sometimes like with local flowers that can be a struggle to need with the flowers. that's like just at the beginning of our season. Yeah. So I, the weather hit just right. So we had our ranunculus anemone we had some snapdragons lilacs bloomed where we are around mother's day so we were able to cut lilacs so we we had had a lot it was good it was an abundant time which is usually you know the stressor for me for mother's Mm day so it ended up being good a lot of rehydrated tulips for us which was good (laughs) us too us too we used ours last week So that would have been, you know, mid early May. So we were still using ours and I think we're just about selling. We pretty much sold everything. So I was really happy with the tulips this year. We had not, didn't have that much waste with them and it ended up going good. So yeah,
0: yeah,
1: Yeah, I hope it worked. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was really, I like how many times did I text you and say, are you sure? (laughs) It's like you cut the bulb off. (laughs) Are you sure I can cut the bulb off? And yeah, we can cut the bulb off. It was just fine. Mm-hmm. Everything rehydrated. We only had a couple of varieties that just didn't do very well as far as you know overall production and for storage purposes. But we were using ours up this week for our CSA, mm-hmm. so we used the last of them. Our ranunculus came on strong and then just kind of like fizzled out yeah. quick with this heat. Yeah. So I think this is our yeah. this is definitely our last week with those. So
1: yes, ours too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, our businesses have grown and Mother's Day has changed. So if we would have known these things, maybe when we first started, we would have been a little bit more relaxed. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah. A little more organized. Yes. You know, we're talking today about you're starting a farm and you want to think through the different sales outlets that you can have as a flower farm and the reason and the beauty and of flower farming is that it can be as teeny tiny. It can be like a small boutique, you know, quarter acre, all the way up to a very large production farm. So it can be a lot of different things. And that hopefully we can give you some guidance today about what might be the best fit for you or how do you, you know, go about figuring that out and then speaking to those specific customers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's when I started, I really, I I wasn't thoughtful about this process. And I know that Shannon and I, so if you haven't hopped over to Instagram, do so. We have a download for you, which is a list of, you know, we kind of a summary of 10 things that we wish we'd have known in year one, just sort of like the summary of lessons that we've learned. And one of them was not falling into the comparison trap. And I think that was where I fell early on, which was, was sort of my guidance. I didn't, have a thoughtful plan into who was I going to sell to? Who was my target market? What did I want my farm to really look like? I kind of, I had some ideas of it, but I was really more driven somewhat by social media. And it wasn't until a few years into my farm, I was like, okay, what do I actually want to do? So yeah. Yeah.
1: Even just like figuring out, you know, and it, it does take time to figure it out. And I do, you know, encourage like try a couple different outlets and see what works for you. But you have, really do have to find now like year six, I'm like, I want to do the things that light me up instead of drain me. So that's really where you're going to start, you know, looking at your market, figuring out where that little niche need is and then hit it hard. And if you love it, that's a bonus. You just keep going and growing and marketing directly to those customers.
0: Yeah. And the nice thing too about like when you, I always say life-giving or life-taking, which is like what you were saying lights you up. It's when you start cutting out things in your life, anything, friends, Mm -hmm. relationships, whatever, Mm -hmm. that don't feel good. When you start to have, when you have things in your life that feel good, the things that don't stand out, right? So like when you're really resisting. So for me, I cut out full service weddings this year, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure we'll touch on that here and we're talking about it, but I really struggled with them as far as, you know, not having some free weekends. And I like to yeah. kayak and all of, you know, all of those things. And so I was like, man, I, when I get done with the workshop, I feel like energized and love connecting with people. When I was done with the wedding, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I don't want to do another one. of these things. So that was kind of a good one for me to identify like with my, where was, what direction was I going to take my business? So what exactly is a target market for those listening in?
1: If you want to explain Miss Shannon? Yeah, so you know your target market is just going to be you know a group of customers that have a shared interest. They're usually have a, you know, certain like demographic qualities. Truly, I think the funny thing is, is like, I really consider myself, my own target audience in a lot of ways. So I really do try and keep like my finger on what the trends are, things that I like generally translate good for my customers. So I really do try and like stay true that way. So, you know, there is some research and stuff that can be done and, you know, everyone's farms are different. Everyone has these little like micro economies, different areas that we live in with different populations that all lead to having, you know, different, you know, underserved markets or existing customers that you can tap into. So I really do think that if you do like a little bit of market research about where you live, you can try and identify, you know, obviously step one, if you have competition and what kind of markets do they serve. Do you agree, Lens? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then trying to be like, okay, so, you know, like an underserved area. So is there no, like you pick farms in your area? So maybe that would be a niche that, that, that you could fit slide into and um, do on your farm. If, if you like, if all the farms around you are all you pick farms, then it might be a good idea to go in another direction. So I really do think like looking at that customer, I know Lindsay and I have very different populations. Mm-hmm. that we serve on our farms what's your population lens would we say at like 8,000 8,000 yeah, yeah like 8,000 yeah and where we are in the Hartville, Uniontown area we pull from a much larger like Akron Canton area North Canton Green all the way up to Cleveland so we both have a different populations and a different group of people Lindsay's so definitely a little bit more rural would you say Lindsay? Oh, yeah. 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 I'm kind of like semi rural, you know, I'm in like a rural part, but there's allotments and it's still suburbia mm-hmm. in some way. Yeah. So I feel like it's like really taking a deep dive into your customer. Where do they live and how can you serve them would be the first step.
0: Yeah. and And also if there is competition in that area, like you said, like kind of looking at what they're doing and looking at what they're doing well. And maybe, you know, I don't suggest reaching out to them to identify it. But what are they not doing well, in your opinion? You know, where is there, where is that, like you said, underserved area? Are they selling to florists? And if they're not, is there a reason for that? Does that have to do with your specific market, the type of florist that you have in your area? So really just, I think, step one with the market research is just being curious about where it is that you live. And, you know, maybe you live even further out. Your farm is when I did research on UPICs. picks, so people will travel up to 20 miles, I believe it is to to a UPIC. pick and that would be whether that's strawberry, you know, apple orchards, flowers, so that to them is kind of within the scope of an area that they would drive. So thinking if you're 40 minutes out of town or 30 minutes out of town, that's on a windy road, it's hard to find all of those things do kind of they're just information doesn't mean it won't work. But it's just information for help you make a decision. Yeah.
1: And I really do think when you're looking at your market, you know, something to consider is like, is this something that you're passionate about? Is there like one particular thing that you might feel lit up by? Like maybe you love peonies. So maybe if you're a peony expert, you've grown peonies for a long time, like maybe that would be an easy niche that could really serve a lot of people. We have a a really great farm in Columbus called red twig farms and they did, they started doing peonies and they sell, sell and ship peonies everywhere now. So Mm -hmm. there is, I mean, I, you know, there's that saying like the riches are in the niches. And I really do think that, you know, finding that, that, that piece of the market, that can be yours, then you can speak directly to those customers is really important, especially with the growth of farms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay, so you've thought about it, you've done your research, and now we're trying to figure out what market am I going to do? So we have, you know, over like 12 years of combined experience trying to figure out what our markets are. So we have a lot of pros and cons of each, right, Lenz? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. And, and we, have through experience, you know, figured out, and, and this is just our personal preference too. So as our farms have like changed and morphed, we've definitely learned a lot about each one of these different markets. So we're going to talk a little bit about them here.
0: Yeah. And before we jump into those target markets too, I think one thing to, we're going to talk on all of these. And I guess is we're like talking through them, like if there's something that comes up for you, you're like, not, it. this doesn't even sound something I'm interested in. It's like, listen to that, you know, be, just because we're trying to like, we're sharing some of our positive experiences about it because I love workshops that might be like on stage with no pants to you. So, but it's also important to know that like each of these, I guess, target markets that we're, we go after, they then become a, an entire entity within your business that you have to manage. So what I'm doing to manage my the farmers market or the u pick is way different than what it takes for us to manage a csa you know so it takes a different skill set within the company and you know you're kind of switching gears and what you just said about the niches are in the rich or the wait flip that the riches yep. are in the niches yeah so and it's true because it's like that's the only thing right that you are you're focusing on right mm-hmm. so as you're adding something in here we are diluting our focus by adding in a different type of market So just, I guess, important to kind of keep those things in mind as you're like expanding a business and it's always just staying curious to all parts of it. So my favorite is agritourism. That's like target market one we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like I'm really heavy agritourism. We do a lot of things, but I think the base of my farm. So when you're talking tourism, it's really just about like the experience for Mm -hmm. The customer, you know, in my farm that encompasses the UPIC that we run. It has like workshops and even the CSA pickup that's at the farm. They actually get to kind of like come into the farm and they get to kind of see that. So I've heard from a lot of customers that that's like part of their self care routine. They're like, oh, Fridays, it's flower pickup day, you know, and they grab a coffee or they, there's another farm in town, Sugar Butte Farm, that has. They do like pasture-raised poultry. And so that's their Friday morning off. They said, we're going to take Friday morning. They're going to come in town. So it's like that whole thing plays into that experience under agritourism. That being said, if you don't like people on your property,
1: (laughs) agritourism ain't for For you. (laughs) I think there's people have different levels of tolerance with that, for sure. I mean, you do have to be a very understanding person to have a lot of people on your farm. So I mean, there's like a lot of considerations, you know, we both live on our farms. So there's definitely, there's a blurred line is what I will say yeah. with customers. And you're right. I mean, I really do think CSA does fall into an agrotourism piece because when they choose to pick up at your farm, they're choosing to come here yeah. and experience the pickup. Yeah. So, you know, there's so many considerations to be made beyond flowers with agrotourism. I think it's, Liability insurance, and it's having those extra things that enhance the experience, like farm animals, and, yep. Yep. and photography opportunities, and like all the things that people are searching for. And sometimes, if you're somebody who like just wants just all I want to do is just grow flowers, then I yep. really it might not be for you. But one thing I would say with the agritourism piece is that what I have found on our farm is that people want to connect with Judd and I. That's what they're yearning for. The flowers are just secondary almost. Yeah. So when we're doing like workshops and stuff here, it's like people are asking you flower questions. They want to know more about you or they just want to like be on the front. They just want to be there. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of other considerations to make. And can it be like, even for Jed and I, it's like we have young children and for us, it's like it can be a little bit draining, but we love it. So, especially if you're like an extrovert or an introvert, could feel Mm -hmm. a little funny to you to do that. But I feel like it feels Jedi. And I I feel like you're kind of the same way, too, Lynn.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I refer to myself as a highly social introvert. So, I like to retreat. Like, I like the one on one and like the workshops and stuff. And I think from an external appearance I look like an extrovert but I'm not but during the season I know like when I get to like chat with them and I have yes. when I think of certain flowers I think of certain customers you know that because yeah. I've had that connection with them that when it blooms that's like they come to my mind but yeah it's also a great opportunity for myself to learn boundaries I've had to say you know we're not open on certain days and and we are a unique type of business right so we we aren't really we don't have a retail space we have flower stands both of us there's a lot of explanation that comes with that so having good communication skills and yeah learning to set boundaries with customers it's it's hard because you're just like i don't want to upset anybody but i also
1: live here and yeah yeah, so i feel like when we first started I wish I would have done better with that. Because you, know, when you're first starting, like any order that comes through, you're like, "Yeah, I'll take it." Anybody stops once flowers, like, "Well, let me hold on, let me, you know, go pick something new or whatever." you, yeah. know? Or you just you want to do anything to sell flowers. And, you know, they could come to like my front door and I'd like be in my PJs pretty much. I'd be like, oh, sure. Let me get a bouquet for you. So over time, we've cut that off, you know, like, hey, you know, these are the hours of the farm. And I kind of wish I would have done that a little bit earlier. And, but you really have to state those things. I mean, you have to be very clear communicator. And I think you have to be somebody who really enjoys seeing other people enjoy your flowers. For yes. me, that is what fuels me. I'm like, oh my gosh, they loved it. Or they th- thought that was so great. Like, I love the immediate feedback that I get that comes from, it's like not an ego boost, but kind of, it's like it fuels you through the hard work days. I think it's an important piece of both of our farms and, and it's growing. I mean, people are becoming more and more interested. They want to do experiences. They over things. So I really do think it's, if you look at your area, you might find it might be kind of an underserved population of people that you might be able to capitalize on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think we, you and I both had the luxury of employees at this point too, that can handle some of that. And, you know, I do feel like I have people that work for me on my farm. That's an extension of my personality. And it's really important for me that I always say like, I want to be the Chick-fil-A of flowers. <laughs> you know, I want them to like leave feeling like, Oh my gosh, they were so sweet. They had this good experience. Cause I feel like that is, how I want my customer to feel when they leave. So, and well, well taken care of. But yeah, I think too, moving and like looking at these categories too, as far as like selling like direct to consumer versus like the wholesale market. And that was a decision that I was kind of, I want to say forced into. But when I started the farm, you know, I really wanted to sell a lot to florist. And I had some resistance up until this year. I think there were a combination of reasons for that. but you know one just that i really thought like oh i'm going to sell mostly to florist and then what ended up happening was i got really just took off with the direct to consumer and when the pandemic hit for me i was like oh This was like a way better, it was kind of like a godsend in some ways because I had control over where my product was going. People were still wanting to buy versus I wasn't really being dictated by the market of the person purchasing it from me. So the florists were shut down, the grocery stores, those sort of things, obviously grocery stores were not shut down, but like we do sell to florists, we do sell to grocery stores. um, But the bulk of the business really kind of elevated during COVID, you know, at the Mm -hmm. very beginning. So that was... uh, Definitely something to consider with direct to consumer is like a definite benefit is that you have control over that product. Yes. And where that what direction it goes.
1: Yeah. And the you're consumer. getting you're getting the full retail price of it. Exactly. I think that's the huge thing is people were coming even to our farm and they wanted to pay us like let's just say twenty dollars for our twenty dollar bouquet. We wholesale our bouquets to other other businesses for and grocery for thirteen. So I could make thirteen but i could also make 20 but then i'm also like putting myself out there on instagram and making sure people connect with me and coming to the farm and i'm managing all the communication around that as opposed to if i were just a wholesale business i would just make the flowers in my barn and ship them off to the grocery store to be marketed there so i feel like if you are looking at you know wholesale versus direct to consumer there's a lot of like uh, personality considerations and, and to make with that type of decision
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even with, you know, those wholesale accounts, some advantages are that you have less customers you're dealing with, right? Yeah. There are some days where my inbox, I just look at my inbox, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I need a drink, you know, where it's like, I don't want to necessarily... Not that I don't want to talk to all these people, but I have to manage all the emails and all of those things that come in with a florist or with these wholesale accounts. You have way less contact. You're selling more, hopefully more volume of product to them, right? And there is some advantages to that, less manpower, maybe to run some wholesale stuff versus, you know, direct to consumer. But so you want to talk about some of the ways you can sell direct to consumer? Like what are some of the ways that you do that?
1: Yeah, so we're primarily direct to consumers still at this point. We do some wholesale stuff, but our big direct to consumer pieces are CSA. So we actually we call it a subscription now because I was finding the the term CSA was just confusing our customers and I was like constantly explaining it and and they're like, Oh, okay. You know, even when I explained it to them, they like didn't really even understand. We don't have like a ton of like veggie CSAs here, so that term is just like A little foreign to my particular customer where we live so we call it a subscription now so we have about maybe 100 to 125 members for each season that is definitely the csa is wonderful because it provides off-season income so typically people buy it around thanksgiving all the way through christmas also valentine's day we're still selling subscriptions for mother's day so It is nice because it does provide that off-season income, but then it does like monopolize some of your flowers during that season because they've already been prepaid. So, and, you know, there's so much communication that goes on with the CSA. We have like, we have multiple pickup spots throughout the county. So it's like managing the pickup spots, people going to the wrong spot, people showing up and their flowers not being there, managing All of it. So we figured out how to streamline that a little bit better. But it can be, I feel like how much you want to communicate is a big piece to deciding what kind of direct to consumer, how you want to sell direct to consumer. So, farmers markets, another not, it takes time to do that, to set up. You have to pay someone or you have to be the person to manage it, to lug all the stuff there for just the opportunity to sell it, not even a guarantee that you're going to sell it. So, and I know you do a lot of farm markets too, right, Lynn? Yeah, we
0: do one each week. We've tried a few in and out kind of over the years. We've tried like yeah. several markets around us. The Marietta market seems to be the best one for us. I know we've talked about, it. we should totally, we you could do a whole show on CSA because that's yeah. just a beast in itself because... Yeah, we in ours, our model, we, I do the CSA model and I still push the CSA term because I want them to understand. So, like, I realized last year we were still having confusion. I still explain it. We don't have a ton of veggie CSAs either. But for me, I needed them to understand my customer, like what they were actually investing in. So, because so many of our repeat customers, we fall into the same category, right? Because a lot of people buy them as a gift. For mm-hmm. like what we do, so now my focus is like CSA retention, and it really is something that I jumped on early was the CSA, because I felt like I needed to, but I probably did it sooner. I probably did it sooner. The first I did it the first year. Mm-hmm. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I like had so much anxiety. I was yeah. like, Am I going to have flowers? What am I going to do? How am I going to? I was like, I should have just really slowed down, slowed mm-hmm. my role, and yeah. just. Probably not done it and stuck to the farmer's market, but yeah, farmer's markets can be, if you have a good one, Mm -hmm. it's a great way to make money. It's a great way to connect with customers. Again, it's just a learning like how much product do you take, you know, all of that. And then do you have an outlet for it? If it doesn't sell in that whole deal. So yeah. And if you, you know, do you have a farm stand can you stock your farm stand with it afterwards if it doesn't sell? So those are some, some of those outlets, but
1: yeah. And the, the one thing about the farmer's market is that it is essentially advertising. I mean, that that's why I have to remind myself, like we have a couple like local farmer's markets that we do go to because I, in some ways I do think it's important to be like the face of flowers in your towns. So, like when people think about flowers, like you want them yeah. to think about you when that, when that occasion arises, even if they don't yeah. buy from you every week, you're just, you're keeping that branding going in their mind. I do like when I pay our vendor fees for markets like that, I put it in marketing because I really do Mm -hmm. feel like that's what it is. We have a couple specialty markets in our area where there's like anywhere between 50 to like 150 vendors. We do really good at those. So I think eventually we'll probably phase out maybe the smaller markets and go to some of those bigger local ones if they continue. Mm -hmm. But again, it's like connecting with your customers and, the excitement and that we, I get so much joy from like seeing someone pick out the perfect bouquet. So if you're yeah. someone who really excites and that fuels you in your farm journey, then I think that the farmer's market is, is really important for people to see your face and get out there that way.
0: Yeah, it's really a rite of passage, I think, like you're saying, advertising, free advertising. Because it's great to say it's an extension of your brand when you're there. You're showing up and I don't let my girls sit in chairs. I'm terrible. Yeah, I No chairs. I'm like, I want this to be, the other people at the farmer's market are like, they must think I'm terrible. Cause they're like, it's okay. They try to like sneak them lawn chairs and I'm like, listen, they don't match the tent. Okay. So <laughs> it's super important for me to have it. I want my girls not to be on their cell phone. I want them to be standing and waiting to greet a customer. So that's like, that's really important. That part is yeah, really important to me.
1: 100% making eye contact and, and all those things. So you are representing your business there for 100%. Yeah. And I do think talking about farm stands, if you are doing a farmer's market and you have a farm stand, I think that those two really they really go together in a lot of ways because it is a way to push product out into a different outlet if you don't sell it at the farmer's market. And at the farmer's market, you direct people to your flower stand. So I do a lot of like cross marketing with those two in particular because we like sell the same $20 bouquet. Like, hey, if you love these bouquets, but you don't, oh, we will be like, oh, I, I don't need flowers today. I'm like, well, if you need flowers in three days, I got you at the farm stand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, if we don't sell something, we can bring it back and sell it at the farm stand, which is really nice. So I, I really do think that those two are a lot alike and they're very complimentary.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. That's I
1: totally agree. All right, so weddings, oh. we're tackling. <laughs> <laughs> you could do many, many episodes on weddings. Yeah. Um, yeah, weddings is definitely a way that you can make money flower farming, 100%. We still do full service. I try to be picky with it, but, and we're doing a lot of a la carte. And I feel like, I feel like direct, weddings are moving a little bit in that direction, being like, a little bit smaller a little bit more intimate and where people are just getting you know picking up the wearables and maybe a few reception at our pieces that the morning of and that is my jam I'm not setting yeah. any cool. up on Saturday I get to go either be with my customers at markets or I get to be with my family and that's what I want to be doing so I do not want to be pinning corsages on sweaty <laughs> <drunk>. yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: They have no idea. Oh, yeah. So we switched, like I said earlier, we switched to not doing full service. And it was really came down to the financial side for me. And I really started looking at the finances. What was I making off of full service? Maybe you live in a market that is crushing big weddings, right? And you can hit that. And you've got the volume and the manpower, all of that to, to handle those. For me, it was just it wasn't working. And I think we did some great weddings. I have great brides. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I think what part wasn't working is it really wasn't working for me. And I had to kind of evaluate that. And yeah. those pickups, right? I, we call them micro weddings. So a la mm-hmm. carte, micro. Yeah, I think COVID kind of killed the big wedding vibe. And yeah. definitely around here, people are moving to smaller ones. Mm-hmm. And that's really where we made the money. I'm not purchasing in anything. I quit even last year saying, like, I'm going to order in roses because I'm like, this is not what I do. Like, I'm not doing this. So we started working with brides and just saying, like, hey, like, we can do what we have on the farm. And if they have, Mm -hmm. like, certain requests, I'm very specific on my page. I give them pricing. I lay out, like, I kind of spell out, like, this is what you're going to get. And very little communication. And it's been great. And we're making way more money at it. So... And I still loved making – I still like the creative side, so it was mm-hmm. – I didn't want to cut that out completely, um, but it needed to be more manageable for us, and I felt like that was kind of the way that we were able to do it.
1: Yeah. I feel like the all-cart weddings where they're like, hey, this is – like, maybe my my color palette is, like, blush and burgundy or whatever. When all we do is require a color palette and we don't guarantee anything, the bouquets become so much better, you're mm-hmm. so much more beautiful because they're not like being micromanaged about what it their Pinterest picture looked like or anything yep. like that. So I think there's a lot of different ways. You can really have a very small, like a boutique style flower farm and grow for weddings. You don't really, you can grow, you know, really specific things for your weddings and it can be on a smaller scale. So if you don't want to have a huge farm. It's a great way to go. It's a great way to get top dollar for the flowers that you're growing yep and it's also a great way to go gray early in life <laughs> <laughs> yes have a good hair stylist yeah oh my gosh yeah <laughs> it's um you and you, you... weddings it's oh yeah we should you I should, health should health
0: put health. that up yes put that on the list <laughs> I'll just be the the crusty co-host just like <laughs> Talking trash on weddings, I know. No, I, we're going to talk about how to make it profitable. That's what this is about, right? You want to do this sustainable. I think that's a whole point of all of this. Like, we want yeah. to make money of it. You got to keep your sanity, and you don't want to burn out. So, I think this whole episode on target market is really just about like doing what works for you and figuring that out. Starting small, not mm-hmm. overwhelming yourself. Yeah, and understanding that you know not everything's going to be a good fit for yes. you and your farm. So
1: yep. okay, a couple more. Yep. Supermarkets, grocery bouquets. Yeah. This is essentially a wholesale outlet. We're doing a couple grocery we're doing a grocery store chain this year, so I'll have to I will keep you all updated on how it's going because it's gonna be a lot of figuring it out. But it's a way to get rid of a lot of product for a wholesale price. So a lot of farms are very successful doing grocery bouquets. I think you really have to have your craft together with all your growing to make sure that you're going to have what you promise and that you can make bouquets quick enough that it remains profitable. Mm-hmm. So it's Good systems. That, yes. Yeah. And you know, a lot of grocery stores are a little archaic and they're used to just ordering just like the whole from the wholesaler boxes of flowers. So, you know, we're running into some, some challenges with like, okay, so you bring them to our distribution center and have them palletized. I'm like, well, it doesn't really work that way. (laughs) So now Mm -hmm. we're driving them to 15 stores across Northeast Ohio, and it's great, and I'm thankful, really thankful for the business. I'm looking forward to the opportunity, but those are all things that we have to weigh in our farm, Um, and I I think that supermarkets should be something that, um, maybe should be done a few, few more years into your business. Do you agree, Lynn? What do you think?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. We have a much smaller market. So we don't, we've actually been trying to get into a chain here that has five mm-hmm. stores and trying to get into it for three years. So I mean, you know, going to them at the peak of our season and it is it's like a very traditional, this is kind of what I found with florist is that mm-hmm. they have a traditional buying habit, right? Like they're buying from the wholesaler you know, getting in front of them, the grocery stores we do sell to are local. So they've been mm-hmm. able to get in front of somebody, they support our brand, we support them. So that's been it's kind of been mutually beneficial with those. But yeah, you're doing the kind of the same amount of work. We've really had to kind of work on our systems with that to make it so that it's still profitable for us because you're doing the same amount of work for mm-hmm. half the money.
1: Yes. 100%. And I mean, even talking like more, a little bit more about wholesale to florists, because florists are really a wholesale market. We do not do a ton of florists yet. I'm trying to get into that market. So you know more about that than I do, Lynn. What do you think about florists? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So we've had, we've sold to a lot more this year, I guess t- I should say. And that's, I think is a direct reflection of just the wholesale market as as a whole. And that we have kind of we have them they buy two ways. I don't have a an availability list because we don't have the volume to in my mind to to have that. But they do have direct line to us to say like, this is what's in bloom, we give them a grow list with a price sheet, each year, and then we just have standing orders with most of them, with like a set dollar amount that they want delivered of any of our product. And if they have something they don't like, they'll say, "Hey, don't send us any more of whatever." It would be daffodils. That's one that they don't particularly care for. So yeah, so we just have standing orders with them, whatever, whichever florist. And it's it's a good relationship. They, if because we don't do prom flowers, like I'm not doing. I swore after last year that I was I was saying no, and I said no. <laughs> all this year. So it's a good referral for weddings and that kind of thing too. So
1: yeah, yeah, to be able to pass on
0: and have that relationship.
1: Yeah. And I really do think the key to wholesale forest and I kind of like enter into this a little bit as we have enough flowers to sell to them, feeling like I have to, part of being successful with the forest is like finding the right fit. So if it's not going to be like your Red Rose Baby Breath, one eight hundred flowers florist necessarily, but it would be someone who really wants to embrace local product that maybe does wedding and events or is a little bit more sophisticated with design that's looking for ranunculus and all of the beautiful extras that aren't you don't see in a traditional florist. So it is about finding kind of the right personality and the fit with the florist. Yeah, so that's definitely a great market, a hundred percent. And I. Florists are becoming more in tune with yeah. local flowers as the flower movement grows. So I think it's been the benefit for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our tulips were a big in with the florists this year. Oh, awesome. They were really,
0: yeah, they were really happy with those. So
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're growing like some specialty types tulips, you know, as opposed to just some singles, that's where you can provide something different than what they're they're used to seeing. And that's really their business like anyone else. So they're searching for a differentiator for themselves too. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. That
0: kind of segues into the attract, repel. Yes. Your attract, repel theory about business.
1: I mean, I heard this somewhere and it was just like something that was a little bit of a light bulb moment for me because I'm just naturally like a little bit more of a sensitive person. So, like I, you know, I tend to take things personally. If like someone is does not like their bouquet for whatever reason, I cannot imagine why somebody would not like their bouquet. But there's <laughs> or complain like, you know, we've gotten complaints before about what didn't meet their expectations or were too expensive, or and all those things. And I used to let that stuff really hurt my feelings. But I think with that, with the key, with really finding what your target market is and then speaking to them is that you want to attract the right people, your the right customers to you. And it's okay to repel the ones who are not a good fit for you. So not everybody's your customer. And I still remind myself to this day that... Mm-hmm. There, It's okay. Like that person was not my customer. That person who came up and was like, oh, like, you know, really $20, you know, whatever the Mm case, I'm like, you know what, that that isn't my person. It has no reflection on me personally. And it has, it honestly, you know, that's like one thing I tell a lot of new growers, like you have to really just be authentically you in your farm. You have to like follow what inspires you, what your custom, listen to your customers, like. what are the things that they love, your good customers, the ones who are just waiting for the next thing to buy from you. So yeah. it is like you find those good customers and I'm like, okay, what is it about this particular person that is that, where I can find that characteristic in other customers and seek them out? How do I like this? Like I'll have a customer that'll be like, oh, I, I just love, like, I've never seen anything like this before. Or this is like the only kind of flowers that you, you, I would have had in my wedding bouquet. So it's like, how do I use those words and then turn it around in my own marketing to attract more people like her who are going to seek me out, who want local product, who, who really support that. And I think there's going to be your people and there's going to be people who are like, no, never mind, forget the specialty tulips. I'll grab the, the singles at the grocery store and I'm just happy with that. It's okay that that's not your person.
0: Yeah. I think this... I called Shannon. I don't know. When was this? A month ago. I don't... Probably. (laughs) And was upset. And we were texting. Well, we were texting, I think. And um, I had a really crappy customer experience. And she said this to me. And I have thought about it so many times. I was very... I was hurt. And I was like, oh, I'm taking this personal. And this is business. You know, this is not about like what she said is not about Lindsay. Like this is about... Just detaching from the fact that she's not my customer and she's really not. You know, my customers are crazy loyal, so sweet. And it's so funny how just as humans, we attach to that. I'm like, do you know how many wonderful people that I talked to at that market that shared stories and did all this? And we, I have one sour interaction <laughs> that left me in tears that I was like going over in this loop and I'm like, okay, time out. You know, so it's really, it's very true. It's very wise words because you attract, definitely attract and repel. And the ones that you repel or unsubscribe from your email list. They're not going to buy from you anyway. And you're probably paying for them on MailChimp. So thank you for saving me the money. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah. so yeah, it's very, it's very true. So. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's just, it's so important in our marketing. And I think once you really zone in on on what kind of business you're going to have, what kind of business do you want to run? What are the things, how are you going to sell your flowers? All of those things are so important in finding that attract piece and the repel that that's what you don't realize that you're doing is the people, when you're talking to people that you're going to attract, those words are actually repelling other people from yeah. even contacting you. And it's not a bad thing. It, it's a good thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I've uh, that's I think the more I've got comfortable in my own skin, my yeah. my social media has become, you know, it, it's just the last 6 years for me has just been this like personal growth as far as like how I'm running the business and not being afraid Of how I show up just as myself, you know, when I started sharing, like I have a very goofy side, I have a very deep side, and allowing both of those to kind of be seen. It's like, I'm attracting that same type of customer. And you're right, I'm repelling the ones who are like, she's corny, she's whatever, you know, it's like, they go on to some other some other page, but yeah, it's really important to to keep that mind and stay true. You know, staying true to like who we are as individuals when we're running these yeah. businesses because it, it it definitely comes out as that. So, do you
1: have anything else you want to add? Did we miss anything? No, I just I hope we've inspired you to really to really think it through and figure out what you want your business to be and what kind of people you want to surround yourself. And I really do hope that we helped give you some pros and cons to the, all the different ways that you can take your flower farm and you can kind of, you heard something that you felt, you know, inspired you or was like a little light bulb moment so that you can get going, attracting and repelling. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining us that, you know, if you love what you're hearing here, please, please, please hit the subscribe button so you don't miss another episode. And if you think a, one of your friends would love to, you know, hear this episode, please share it with them, but we want to continue the conversation with you. So jump over to our Instagram at Dirt On Flowers and make sure that you share the episode, share a page, sign up for our email list, do it all. In the show notes, <laughs> notes, did you hear that Appalachian come out? Notes. <laughs> share it down in our show notes. You could become a Dirt On Flowers insider. We're eventually going to be having some membership subscriptions. Mm-hmm. But yeah, thanks for joining us and we'll see you again in a couple weeks. See you soon. Bye.